Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is a returning guest <laughs> with a topic we're also returning to. Yes. But it's been a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like five years this maybe since you were here. This is a reboot, actually, of your previous conversation, which yes. is very fitting. Thematically, <laughs> thematically precisely appropriate. Yes. <laughs> it's a requel of your previous a conversation. Requel. Yeah, yeah. Connor Bean, talk to us about Scream. Yes. Why did you pick Scream? <laughs> Why did I pick Scream? I mean... But obviously we've had a new Scream movie in the last, I guess it came out in January, so about five, six months ago, and that reignited a lot of conversation about the film mm. and the 25th anniversary of it was actually, I guess it was this year, but actually weirdly Scream came out, I think in 97 years. Remember the old days of like a film came out in America mm. and then we got it like a hundred years later, yeah. Yeah. but it is 25 years ago since the film came out. And then obviously within those few years, it was like a, a VHS home video stable. And I think a lot of us watched it surreptitiously as teenagers when we were maybe a little bit too young. Mm-hmm. So it's always been a series of films I have just adored, but obviously my passion for it has been reignited in recent months to the point where as the film was coming out on Instagram stories, I'd be like, it's going to be a scream focused <laughs> place for a while. I will be sharing tidbits. Yeah, Please know my YouTube recommendations are a mess right now. And I'm taking <laughs> you all along with me. So it's just bubbled back up for me for obvious reasons. I feel like every time I hit on your story recently, I was just like, God, I was watching Scream again. I was like, I should have rewatched it last night. And I went, of all the things you do not to rewatch that movie, like to talk about, it. I was like, that's true. Like I could have, but also it's so, it lays so close to the front of my brain at all times. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm good. I only watched it for the first time uh, this winter. And I feel like it was, for one thing, I was super surprised that it actually wasn't about Drew Barrymore. Oh yes. yeah. Right? Yeah. I guess that, that bit of information has been lost yeah. to time that she dies in the first 15 minutes. Yeah, so yeah. that left spoiler, me... Just, we're not, spoiler This is totally spoiler for wow. a 25 year old film. 25 year old film. I haven't seen it yet. That's so sensitive. Um, but I think that what I found really comforting about it is even though there is sort of the iconography of it and the, there are like moments and flashes from it that have become immortalized culturally, the story is actually still really fucking brilliant and really different and really it still stands. You know what I mean? Like it's a really great piece of cinema. Like yeah, it's you really know? well written and it's really well directed. Obviously, and I think it's even just to go back to what you said about Drew Barrymore, mm. like how the film was marketed initially was they Drew Barrymore was given the script or got it and was like, "This is great. I'd love to do." But then. I think she either wasn't available to do the full thing or someone suggested, why don't you play the girl the star who dies in the opening credits? And they all kind of went, if we get a big name and you watch the film and you don't know it. And this is, you have to remember, like, you know, the way you watch it really probably mirrors a lot of how people saw it back in the day. If you don't know. Yeah. Because they put her front and center on yeah, posters. posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, posters. She did yeah, junket yeah. interviews and like she went out and did a press run for that film. She's she a poster the, girl, you know. She's like... the lead in it. And so like there's something about them having this very recognisable face at the top of the film, A, it's like a really great performance because she's a great actor, but B, you kind of think, well, she's probably the lead, so they're not going to kill her off. So when she does die, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, they're not playing around. And it's actually, funny enough, a kind of bar for every screen movie since that the opening has to be really Mm. fiendishly clever or unexpected because what they did in the first one was so great. Like, and some people call it the opening kill, which it is. But for me, it's not even about oh, the kill. Like, I'm not a horror movie fan <laughs> of, like, kills and stuff. You know, with the sense of, like, the tone it sets at the start. But mm-hmm. I, I am a fan of that genre. And also a fan of the, and a person who's interested in those storytelling structures, like the final girl and the yeah, way yeah, those yeah. things operate. And, like, the way that the virgin and the horror is always played yeah. out, which we talk about very directly in this film. Like, it's a film that loves horror and also a horror film. Yeah. So it's... Like, while she is the sort of the sacrificial maiden on the outset of this journey, 
the film knows that and mm. is all about that. So no matter what kind of analysis you want to hit it with, it already knows it's winking back at you, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's funny because it was written by Kevin Williamson who went on to obviously create Dawson's Creek, the Vampire mm. Diaries, and is like... A, he also did uh, the following was like a kind of a horror themed TV show, which I actually never watched because apparently it was really gruesome. But like he's a very successful TV and film screenwriter, I guess even more so maybe for TV. But like mm. Scream was kind of one of the first things that he sold and had like a lot of success with in terms of like, OK, this is a script and we're going to make it. And, he, and obviously Wes Craven directed who, you know, has a mythical status amongst mm. horror film mm-hmm. fans because of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And just when you look back, I mean, he died, I think, in 2012, like when his last film or one of his last films was Scream 4. Wow. There's probably more Wes Craven heads listening who know the exact chronology, not me. Um, but his like his work like had gotten to that point where he had a lot of big horror films, but he hadn't had a hit in a while. And I think that makes of like a really experienced director who also was like, I'm ready to go back to the genre I became famous with and take it on like hardcore. By and the someone, horns. By yeah. the horns. And someone like Kevin Williamson, who loved the films and wanted to revive the slasher genre because horror films at that point were seen as a bit kind of passe ironically sequels to stuff like A Nightmare on Elm Street had kind of killed horror dead by that point mm. and people were like they're tr- full of tropes they're lazy they're not invented which of course as you mentioned is what the film's about it's characters like Sydney early on saying like oh horror films are stupid it's some big best girl who can't act always running up the stairs when she, up the stairs when she, she run out the run door out the all those yeah, things yeah, so yeah. like we have such a self-referential tone to so much of our pop culture whether it be reboots and sequels but also just from things like Scream and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that kind of mid-90s era into the 2000s really created this like self-referential language to everything. Mm. I mean, Marvel mm. have basically hung half of their cinematic universe off of fan service and nods to things. So you ha- kind of have to remember when Scream came out, it was unusual for a film to go, it's like we're in a movie. Like that just didn't really happen. Yeah. Mm. And I think because it also has the, and so many of the cast end up in, a legacy of teen movies thereafter as well there's a coming coming to it for the first time as a grown-up you know yeah a very long way from where it first started out it's um incredible to see what a pioneering text it was across genres as well as being a horror film about horror films it's also a teen movie you know i like, was gonna say and it's funny because i even checked the dates before we started talking because i couldn't remember so obviously Kevin Williamson went on to do I Know What You Did Last Summer mm-hmm. and particularly Dawson's Creek, which is obviously one of the big teen dramas of that era. But it actually started after Scream. But when you watch Scream now, a lot of the the kind of character beats and story beats that aren't necessarily about the murders and all that stuff, it is basically a teen soap. And actually why I think the film, that film and the series has stuck is it's very character driven. Like Nightmare on Elm Street, for example, the first one is a classic film. And the reason they did more than was to focus on Freddy Krueger, the kind of creepy killer. But actually in Scream, yes, they have the iconic mask from Ghostface. And you do the voice on the phone. But really you're following Sidney, Gale and Dewey, like movie to movie to see how these people are actually doing. And that character element is so strong in the first one because it is soapy and there's intrigue. Like her mom died a year ago. What's up with that? Like mm. her and her boyfriend, we're actually really getting a lot about that. What's the dynamic here? Oh, her and her dad are a bit icy because of the stuff with they're the mom. They're planting, they're planting little mm. stings everywhere. So they're red herrings yeah, yeah. for the, for the whodunit element, but also their character beats. That, so it has this soapy pull to it where you, you do kind of want to keep going. And also like I went to see it the 25th anniversary screening of The Lighthouse, it must have been maybe October, November of last year. And like, it was funny because it was like a mixed group of like people who clearly I could tell had seen the film and some who hadn't. And some mm. people were laughing at some of the dialogue because 
some of the scenes are a little bit ripe in 90s now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, Billy Ernest being like, I feel like you don't want to touch me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the crowd were kind of laughing at those parts. But then later on, particularly in Act 3, when shit gets really serious, mm-hmm. the way the room was like, oh, well, this is oh. actually really good. Yeah. This is really scary. Yeah. Once it starts like, getting pretty bloody, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. all the playfulness goes out of the air. Yeah, I was like, like, you're not meant to laugh at that bit. That's actually a dramatic <laughs> bit. I was like, there is some good dialogue. And like, oh. and then I was like, huh, no, you're not laughing. Like, I was so smug. I was like, see? See, but anyway, Good movie, yeah, I was like, so what if some of it is a little bit tried with the nineties? Oh my god, it's and it is truly like Courtney Cox is like, it, throughout them, I watched one, two, and three this winter, and she is she's doing a lot up there. She's so camp. She's oh, so and she goes camp. For it. yeah. But she's also terrible haircuts. Every yeah, the little French. Like the third one, she's third one, she has the crazy bangs. Like as oh. in, she always says. Yeah, I know. She's like those bangs at Scream Three. I'm like, they kind of have cult appeal now. Like they get tweeted about all the time. Yeah, she's 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 bringing them back, you know. But she um is a wonderful villain and a brilliant kind of foil, you know. Like she's really um like she's an archetype rather than a kind of a solid character in some ways. Like she's uh I think like I don't know if in some ways I don't know if I can rattle off other characters like her, but she's that wicked journalist who's just here to wreck the buzz like or who's just here to exploit everything that's going on around her is uh ah she's a great foil like she's a lovely other force for everyone to be pit against aside from the you know lingering murderer do you know what i mean like she's part of the everyone is against sydney energy and and it's also funny in the film there you even though even in the first film because now with all the screen films they really play up the history between the characters even in our first one you do get the sense that Sydney really hates Gail because Gail's yeah. investigation into how Sydney's mum died and the questions she has about the person that initially gets kind of fingered as, as the as the person who did it, like it's a real source of tension. So like, it, she does play that kind of like manipulative, I guess, nosy journalist really well. And it's funny to think like, so uh, when Scream came out, Friends and Party of Five, which were the shows that Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell were on respectively, were out there and had done well. Like the first mm-hmm. seasons of both shows had been successful, but not like massive. And then Scream, when it first came out, took a good three to four weeks to really become a box office success. They dropped it in the middle of like December in the US to the point where everyone's like, they've put this out and like, it's not going to do well. They're and, killing like, it over the Christmas. Like, yeah, it will yeah. probably just like be a home video hit in like months to come, haha, whatever. And then the word of mouth was insanely good for Scream. And then... I, I'm not sure in the Friends timeline because it's not a show as I'm as up on a scream yeah, yeah. but like the first season of Friends did well and then in reruns that summer it became huge and they went into season two and three it blew up and Party of Five was the same so this idea that they were on these things that were like well written and popular but took a while to actually find their audience whereas I feel like now shows and movies do not get that kind of grace because no, it's no, kind of disposable kind yeah. of culture so it's funny to think that actually Scream hung on and kind of became a word of mouth hit and like that both the, of the kind of main actors in that film were also on TV shows that had a similar journey, and I kind of feel like if they were on those shows now, they'd all they'd get dropped for the first season. They would if Screen came out and did that in the first weekend, now they'd be like, "Oh, it's a flop, whatever." And then you'd read a piece in a year, and like this film is underrated. Here's ten <laughs> reasons why. Actually, surprisingly good, you know. Yeah, and so it's funny. It's very of its time in that regard. Isn't that incredible how things got that? That I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. But you're dead right that there is a grace period that work from that time got that the endless kind of production churn of Netflix and the Marvel uh, um, industrial complex um, has sort of drowned. You know? And it's also just the practical thing of there's just way more stuff mm. now being made. Like mm. in the US, they talk about how all the studios 
are booked out for months on end and it's why like even big shows like well we're filming all, all the way over here now because the studio we usually use is booked out for two years solid and you hear even anecdotally here that like there's huge demand for production around which is obviously amazing for people working in it but like mm. to the point where like they're like where a who's gonna watch all this stuff and b yeah. where are they gonna find places to shoot it so there's plenty of things about the ear screen was made and that you that are it's good that they change but sometimes when i hear about how that film sort of actually found time to land with an audience and probably did have a second wind on home video i mean that's how i yeah. saw that's it that's how i saw as well i was too young to and see it was it like cinema genuine word of mouth because there was no twitter yeah. it wasn't really message boards it was actually like everybody going i, I guess it was the, the the mask right of course yeah it was the huge part of it because it was it had such a long shelf life as a parody which stuff doesn't anymore because memes just cycle through stuff in a yeah, week yeah, yeah. whereas like Scary movie came out what like two years later, three years yeah, later, three years later, and that yeah. was still a current reference to well, use. Yeah, as yeah. That? and the irony is, so Scream was originally called Scary Movie mm. and was made by Miramax, so that came mm. out ninety six, say ninety seven, technically, because really we got it in ninety seven and it was got big early nineteen twenty seven in America, and then they did Scream two really quickly after Scream two came out end of 97 early 1998 mm-hmm. here so really in a year they hit out two big films for that so you don't need a giant budget or lots of special effects this is the thing they don't yeah, need a huge amount movie, of post-production yeah. it's just get these kids in a house you know yeah. what i mean or a theater or a school or a university when's our metcalf available yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's your fucking five dollar mask you know mm-hmm. what i mean like yeah. that's that's it and that low production value is really freeing like it's, it's also really why horror films still a make a lot of money and b yeah. are made by all the big studios still is because like they're like okay we spent this fraction on it but if we market it well and the word of mouth is good we'll make back like mm. mega bank it's particularly because if you have a decent enough horror film you don't maybe need top line talent on it you don't need an a-lister you don't, you don't need to spend months doing cgi if it's the right kind of well executed things so and you like, can play it out in a very simple set with no excessive costuming obviously a li- maybe maybe a little bit of blood a splash of blood yeah. here and there you know just a splash of blood blood in this scene saw is like a two-hander you know what i mean it's yeah. a single room get out is one house in a garden it's one house you know? in a garden in a basement yeah. that's it like and marnie and from girls is the biggest star yeah no. she's fucking brilliant she's brilliant she's, brilliant. Oh, she's such yeah. a she's such a fantastic villain. marnie from girls marnie from girls but like that I don't know, as a storytelling method, it's really freeing because it takes away the need for that. I think they age better visually. I think Scream, like, yeah. looks mm. phenomenal. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. And I'm, you know, always up on my horse a bit. The shots of the big empty town during the curfew. Oh my God. Yeah. Amazing like, still. So and I'm not gorgeous. a big, they've remastered blah kind of no. um, vi- film visual nerve. I will say, because I saw it on the big screen. Oh, and yeah. the one that, you, if you buy it on Blu-ray now, there's like a new edition of the first Scream film on Blu-ray. And it's like, the refresh transfer they did is really gorgeous. It was like, I was watching it in the cinema last year going, this is like watching it for the first time. They mm. just found that, because there's loads of lens flare and kind of some of it is a little bit, almost looks like it was shot on like a handy cam or something. Yeah, yeah. So like it actually, now that they've, there was a, the version that was on Blu-ray for a while looked a bit rough whatever way they had transferred it. But this newer take that you can, if you rent it digitally, it's the one you get now. It just looks really fresh. They've actually given it a lovely, somebody, like there's film nerds who are much more up on the technicalities mm. of this. But basically, my eye can just go, oh, they've actually made this film look great for now. Or sometimes they're like, oh, they made it look like dog shit. Yeah, then that's the real risk that you run yeah. with that sort of computer visual thing that, and that like... effects driven stuff, yeah. Effects can make or... I mean, I think everyone has a different sort of sensitivity level to that. Yeah. But if I think if I, I hit Uncanny Valley and I fall down it and I cannot get back up, I am like, I don't know if this is not... Magic yeah. is gone, the magic is dead. This I feel I feel nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... And I think that horror from that time, even if it is 
kind of obviously like we talked about Hellraiser here. I think it was the last time we were in, were we in the studio and we talked about Hellraiser. Uh, yeah, we were. Yeah. And I loved Hellraiser, even though it's clearly plasticine, like all of it, yeah, and yeah, red yeah, corn yeah. syrup. But it's still, it still functions, it still works because it's tactile and it looks like you can touch it. Do you know? And the world in Scream and the horror in Scream is not, while it is mysterious and destabilizing because it really could be any of these people up until a certain point and it is quite shocking how it unfolds yeah um it's a house that you could walk into the kids look like you can teenagers look like teenagers you can clearly imagine how would i get out of this because it's places that you would get trapped by a killer it's your house your friend's house school and that weird upstairs attic room that has like yeah, yeah. loads of junk in it and then she <laughs> i mean it's also very like when i watched even recently I was like, this is such like a film set in like a middle class American oh town. yeah they big time to have a boat in the yeah. back <laughs> casual boat flop onto a boat to get away but it's mm-hmm. funny because we were talking about the scary movie thing a little while ago so basically when the film was originally called scary movie they changed the title yeah but obviously someone in miramax was like let's keep that title in the back of our heads and when they decided to the parody and use that name even in recent interviews like kevin Winston was like we weren't particularly thrilled about that oh, because no. they also made a shit ton of money off of scream again we think that there's i think what five or six scary movie parody films that were made over yeah space i've already seen the first one and the first yeah, yeah. two or three were he, like they all yeah. kind of did like they all probably turned a profit because mm. like horror films you can do those parody films on a wing and a prayer but the first two in particular were huge hits and they would have been big in cinemas and big again on home video because mm-hmm. like fucking kids who couldn't go see it were renting it sharing it whatever so like the idea that scream not only made a shit ton of money but then created a cottage industry of the idea of Scream. Yeah, and then yeah. rip off parody spoofs is kind of hilarious. It's probably why... The second film is about what it's about. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. why they're still so self-referential and it's also why they stuck around because actually it wasn't just one great film and then a load of pretty good sequels considering because most horror sequels are not that mm-hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. It's also like it became a cultural touchstone because we started mocking it like almost instantly and we started referencing it almost instantly so it's just funny how it's kind of stuck around yeah it's mm. built into this culture of it it's built its own culture around itself you know and i think like you nailed it there on that i think a lot of it is that visual of the mask and also you're you know? so right the mask is very is very striking also i don't want to spoil the 2022 film just because i feel like people are still only kind of going to come mm. to yeah. it over but the, do the watch it, it yeah. is it's real good i was really yeah. happy with it. like i yeah. went in as a horror fan going this could be a load this could blow yeah. jumps oh, like, I don't risky, know. risky risky yeah. 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 yeah but the and this is in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling it. But basically, the the first film's third act is set mainly in that house of the party is. And in the new film, they go back to that house, basically. But oh. what was funny was, because of COVID, they filmed it, I think with a, quite a lean budget, but they couldn't get the actual house. So they recreated it on a soundstage. And when cool. you see some of the like behind-the-scenes footage, like it's funny, that thing you were talking about of, it feels like it could happen in a real house. And yet, the most recent one, it technically didn't, but it was based yeah. very clearly on a real house. house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and this was the most 2022 part of it all, was they didn't get the house to film the movie in, but Airbnb did an activation <laughs> with Scream where you could win a competition to stay in the real house. And there's videos online of people oh, doing wow. a tour of the actual Scream house. Mm. And it's like, I love how they couldn't film a movie here in COVID, but, but they could do a branded yeah. partnership with post, Airbnb. Quote unquote, post COVID. What's the first thing you do in the Scream house? I don't know. Oh, let's go. I, will I would avoid, jump out of the umbrella closet. I would avoid the kitchen, first yeah. of all. Yeah. I would avoid the kitchen. I would probably. Yeah, I'd probably just stay in the foyer and just be like, I'm just, I'm good here. <laughs> I go back out on the porch, actually. I would make Kerry take pictures of me from the window. I'd make him stand in the garden and I'd be like mm. taking pictures of the window in the distance to be like, look, I'm too boring. I might do, I might do the, the thing that Gail does at the end of the first screen where she's like, 
she does the live um, piece to camera as like a news report like on mm. the scene I think I'd be like a night that began with a scream I think I'd probably <laughs> do that with a microphone I, that's probably I'd have a friend do like a wide yeah. shot of it's me walking away in the background yeah it yeah all yeah. began here <laughs> I would like a picture of me on the sofa from the perspective of the TV as Randy yes yeah, yeah. 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 behind you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Needs worth, even if you haven't seen the new screen film, I think they kind of announced that Airbnb thing with a video with David Arquette in the house. And there's something he's sort of half in character is doing. There's something about him now walking around this house that like when you see it, it's mainly shot in daylight and so funny because mm. the film was obviously set at night mainly. So see mm. you recognize the house almost intimately if you've watched the movie a lot like I have. Yeah. So seeing it like shot with Airbnb cameras during the day, you're like, this is mad. This house mm. is actually also speaking of American middle class. Huge. Just realizing how big these Huge. fucking houses are. Yeah. Distressingly <laughs> large. Total. I rented an Airbnb uh, in the past, capital T, capital P, the past, very long time ago, 2013, in Portland with some friends. We drove up from San Francisco and um, we were just living in the basement level for a few days. And it was bigger than any house in Ireland I'd ever been in. And it was just, you know, the, the whole place hadn't been redecorated since the 90s. So it was very ornate and very frilly. It I was really like, like being in the screen movie. It had mm. that edge of like, it felt like a set. It felt a bit like it felt a bit artificial, just mm-hmm. delightful. Mm. But also so big that I was kind of alarmed by how large it was. I was like, what? Are, why does it take me so long to walk from the bedroom into the kitchen? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of excessive. Scream, I think that I'm like, why? And like, there's doors that close on doors. I'm like, what? Who designed this home? Yeah. And even this is the total aside. But a few years ago, there's a Roisin Murphy song called Ramalama Bang Bang. It was like on her first album, and it became like this kind of cult classic in America because it was on. So you think you can dance, and so it's like this song that like dancers will reference or use all the time. And I had a little moment on TikTok because obviously people do dances on TikTok. So that song bubbled up in someone's imagination, and there was like a compilation of people doing videos to that song. And Roisin Murphy shared it, and she's like kind of was like you know in her very kind of draw way was like well I'm glad to see this but also I'm like god Americans have big houses yeah. like, there was a load of teenagers <laughs> running through houses. huge bathrooms and doing transitions and run. I was like they're all living in the, and these are all like meant to be normal kids no, not sound stages kids. sound stages like, she goes oh my god Americans have such big houses and I was like I think that all the time when I see those TikToks of kids mm. and her teen movies I'm like who lives like this the houses, the, the houses I nannied for would have taken your eyes out of your head they were like f- kind of freakish because you'd be like oh the kid has gone upstairs to play and I'm like no that is a 10 minute walk we are not like I'm not having it that yeah. far away from you I need to be within a 3 minute radius of you at all times but I think part of why the, the sort of the layer of fantasy then that comes in with films like Scream, Scream is because America did feel like a very different place for a long time whereas now all the world is much more stitched closely together because we're looking at each other all the time through the internet we have like this sort of endless portal of other people's homes but back then America really felt like a different place because of that difference you know that real like everything is and was bigger there you know Um, so in some ways you felt like you know these are just like when I was watching it last year, I was like, there are cozy kind of touches and there's like this, this familiarity of like, oh, yeah, that's what it's like being a teen. They're on. Yeah, yeah. I, always, I always notice the couches and screen. But it's <laughs> the couches, Jesus. But the scale of it, like, I don't know, from, of cinema from that time, I don't know, I don't know what, what point I'm exactly trying to get to, but I sort of miss a bit when it felt like there were places that were truly different and truly inaccessible. Do you know what I mean? When it felt kind of amazing to look at stuff like that. Yeah. You know, even like marveling at the size of some of, of these homes felt like i don't know it felt like a, a different uh different world or something and it's know? also the way like 
because Scream probably had like an okay to middling budget, but like, mm. so they were using every inch of those spaces too. Right? Yeah. So like, they're not just, it's where the character takes a phone call, it's where the character ducks and dives and j- maybe jumps out a window or has to like trap herself in a wardrobe or like, particularly the third act of Scream, every time mm. I watch it, I always think this third act is so grueling because once they're in the house, and particularly when the killers get revealed, it becomes like very claustrophobic, even though it's a big space. So like mm. that very like weird kitchen where there's a kitchen island. And the like, island start becomes this huge yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah. You realize how many <laughs> angles there are in the house. Yeah, they're boxed yeah, yeah. in. And it was funny because the new film kind of plays off of that too. You know, they start, the, they start intercoding like the kind of legacy characters interacting with somebody. And then, you know, you see the kind of leads of the new film who are the new age, Sydney and Gail, et cetera, using other parts of the house. And it's the idea that like these lavish homes, I guess, I'm sure people wouldn't even call it lavish, lavish but I feel yeah. like it kind of is. Like yeah. these homes then become a, a traps, and that's yeah. that also adds a layer of like a kind of ickiness to it. Because even that iconic scene of you know the character Randy watching the movie and telling Jamie Lee, "Get out, get out, he's behind you," and well, the killer's behind it's him, right him. plays off of like Space. the vast couch and the mm. the fact that there's an entryway and like it just even visually they pull in and out. Like there's it's almost kind of a cheesy shot when like like. I love that sequence where they're watching the, the camera in the sitting room on a delay in Gail's news mm-hmm. van. Yeah, And yeah. they're playing off of like crash zooms and pulling in and out and you're just like, the depth of field and space <laughs> that they had for this home. Like, how did they find I'll the tell house? you what it is. And the, and the plot, and the, it's something that I feel like we, we mentioned um, of the Jordan Peele film. Get Out. Get Out. Mm. That like, why are people living so far away from the main road? Why are people living <laughs> yeah. so far away from the village? Like maybe if you live, maybe if you had neighbors, my guy, this probably wouldn't be as bad. Maybe if you lived like, you know, I guess American suburbs are not like our suburbs at all. But like maybe if you lived in a semi-detached, yeah, you, you know, you might be maybe okay. Maybe in a housing estate you know? would get stopped. <laughs> I'm just saying. Or well, you know, I guess Candyman was like, you know, yeah. that's mm. that's apartments, that's flats. You know what I mean? Didn't fucking stop him. You know what I mean? Even, so even um, in the 2018 Halloween film, which takes quite a bit of time to get you back into like. Michael Myers in the mask in like Haddonfield proper but then that sequence where he goes into kind of the more built up suburban kind of houses beside houses thing and just goes on a killing spree by walking in and out of doors is also so eerie so I'm sure you're not no matter what the house configuration you do yeah. <laughs> but there is something about Scream like that like they all the go scale to, they yeah. go to this house kind of middle of nowhere for like a, a rager and then it's like well, maybe I wouldn't have I don't know guys I simply wouldn't have like, I simply would have do you know what I, mean? I also I absolutely also would have gone to those parties 100% I think something that's interesting about the kind of I've seen three of the five um, did I see the fourth one? Three or four of them. The fourth one is on Netflix if anyone wants to watch it because they're all quite Maybe hard that's to why we down. watched. Maybe what that's why we started watching them. But anyway, um Ghostface isn't uh a goat. He, like he's not supernatural, right? Oh, oh he's yeah. the clumpiest like horror uh, oh, he, so, he gets he cracks his head off yeah. a, a it's lot. Extremely, yeah. uh, it's extremely it's extremely non supernatural. It's actually it's deeply realist in some ways which is why it gets scary at the end of the first one especially when everyone's kind of running around and you realize that when people are physically fighting and physically trying to escape each other it gets very messy and ugly and yeah on it's the opposite of choreography it's just fear you know and that's kind of scarier than any spooky shit or urban legend could be you Mm. know like the other horror films that i love are all like knit with ghosts and spooky Mm -hmm. shit but scream isn't spooky right it's not a spooky scream movie. is a point horror book and other horror films are goosebumps because yes. in point horror it's always actually the boyfriend yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, used yeah. To, I actually remember 
<laughs> my local library. I think it used to be 14 or 15 to have an adult library card. So you could oh. take teenage books on the books. And I somehow managed to convince them via my parents to give me like an adult library card like a year early so I could just raid the point R section. Mm. They were literally like, it's just so we can read point R. Oh, yes. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> we know exactly what I um, is going to go up to when he gets his card. Yeah, yeah. What I would consider like the like the peak and like the like paradigm example of a point horror book is Trick or Treat by Richie Tankers yes, 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 which yes, basically has the Scream book. House on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It essentially takes place in the Scream House as well which, and it's from roughly the same time I think as well. And I'm sure they were all kind of like pitching all those point horror books off of the fact that a lot of teenagers were probably I know Eden Last Summer is essentially hit and run by Arl Stein. Yeah, so, so yeah. Like, they were probably like, Do you know what, let's just like play off of this teenage fascination with these movies that we can't go and see and just write a load of mass market paperbacks that they'll mm-hmm. swallow up. Yeah, and like the, I guess what they're kind of, because horror, like like a lot of the things, is touching on, you know, societal concerns and like zombies is about consumer yeah, culture. For, like there's of course. A, there's direct constellation lines between what the world is experiencing and how we tell stories that frighten each other. And Scream is so nakedly and explicitly about the impact of horror movies, right? Oh, it's and about, about the direct poison of horror movies and, and like film violence, yeah. Yeah. And uh the sort of the delight um the in the last sequence especially when, when everything starts to unfold uh, to to unfold, like the delight and the pleasure that the characters who are orchestrating all this receive in the act, acts of of, of yeah. perpetrating these murders. I think that is something that's like, you know, Scream is a romp. But it's also a really succinct social commentary, I think, as well. It's not necessarily a correct social commentary, but they're trying to say something about how we collect, uh, you know, collect having seen horrible things, you know, and like I've seen all these movies and I know all these things. Yeah. And I'm going to become part of that legacy is a I don't know. I think there's something something that's still quite potent in that idea. And also, like, it's been kind of a thing that's, I guess, dogged horror movies, but also has dogged pop culture for years. And I mean decades, this idea of like, well, that's too violent and it will make young people do X and Y. Obviously the UK Mm -hmm. in particular and the video nasty thing in the 80s and tying it to like the attempt by politicians to tie to certain things that had happened, like gruesome, horrible things that had happened. And then, you know, a wave of like horror films that were banned in the UK. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know, I don't really know. I presume... When those bands happened in the UK, the film probably didn't make it here because oh, of the supply yeah, change. Just, yeah, like, Whereas technically we didn't have the same film censor set of setups. So I don't know. Yeah. Sure well, we did have no some films that were specifically banned here as well. well like sure, I expect Your Grave was banned here. Exorcist um, wasn't here. Dexist, the yeah. Life of Brian wasn't allowed mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. But the Exorcist was banned as well. There's lots of weird... But they're all kind of religious-y. But I think there's always been that kind of hand-wringing about violence on screen and the irony is that sorry the irony if I could talk mm-hmm. um, so screen comes out in 96 and then you know you have the matrix in 1999 and yeah. this kind of people talking about the music of I mean now it's gross even bring up but someone like Marilyn Manson like there was a mm. tail in the 90s you know people looked at shows even there's episodes of Buffy that got pulled from the schedule because of what happened at Columbine yeah. so like the first two screen films actually came out before that kind of cultural wave in the US of like, you know, panicking about media instead of maybe dealing with what's actually the cause of violence or the bigger factors. And then apparently, I only knew this recent, I only read this recently, even though I've seen the film a ton of times, that Scream 3 was massively retooled because of, it came out in like 2001 and they were freaked about post-Columbine. Mm. We cannot do a film about 
teenagers murdering other teenagers it will just read so badly so it's why a the violence in the third film is far more watered down like the third film plays even though it's directed by Wes Craven and Kevin Winnison had some involvement and then a different screenwriter came in um, whose surname was Kruger I believe which feels hey, really odd yeah. I was like Aaron Kruger are you sure um, so like the third film is broader and more parody-esque because I think at the time they were like we need to lean into the humour because all the screen films are very witty and funny there's a, a comedic there's yeah. a comedic tone to all of it and the dialogue is always really good and they went full almost slapstick even there's like a sequence in the third film where Ghostface throws a knife at Dewey and it whizzes in the air and knocks him in the head by the handle and yeah. you're just like this is like something you would have taken the piss out of. In a Looney Tunes mm. cartoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like they leaned out of, and apparently the plot, a rough plot point for the third one was going to be Stu, who's one of the masterminds of the murders in the first one, was actually alive and in jail and was like orchestrating a new set of killings via, like he was in correspondence with these teenagers in Woodsboro and they were recreating the murders from the first film. And they were like, we cannot God. have a bunch of teens chopping each other up. It just feels a bit too mm-hmm. close to the nose. And it created this weird thing where the third film is like, like a bit, and weirdly there are supernatural nods in the third film where Sydney is like visited by visions of her dead mother and it's like it starts weirdly they do all the things you think they never do go mm. too broad go too kind of supernatural in a bad way and there's actually not to spoil it too much but there is actually weirdly a supernatural element to the fifth film in terms of like well not quite supernatural but there is kind of ghosts of the past mm. ideas in the fifth one that they kept completely out of the trailer and the marketing. And when it came out, everyone's like, whoa, oh, you really? Okay. okay. Mm. You lean Counted. into one choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's funny, like, they, even though Screen kind of comments on that and then it avoided a certain blow up initially, it ended up being, I don't want to say victim because that's a bit crass. Oh, but it, it ends but it up ends up, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it ends up reflecting actually that mood as well, even though you, you go see the third film, you wouldn't necessarily know that. Although weirdly, there's a whole subplot on the third film about Sydney's mom going to Hollywood and her failed attempt at finding success and how she's a victim of the casting couch all the the first four screen films were produced by the Weinsteins yes and that was really and Carrie Fisher is in it kind of like with a cameo where she talks about that culture and you're like was this like some kind of way of saying fuck you to the Weinsteins or was it just I feel like it was very direct I feel like I don't know was that the third one or the fourth one third one third one yeah so I found that really strange and again a further conversation leading back to the idea that like the monster is the horror, is the people who the horror films produce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then in the third one, you dig further and deeper down. The monster <laughs> is the people who make yeah. these films and the very production of this work is insidious and poisonous and built around violence in itself. And while there is a kind of, I'm, I'm using, when I, when, I, when I say camp, I don't mean like, I, I mean like there's a sort of a, a heightened excess to these scenes at the end of the third one where they're running around the sort of the secret like oh, it's the secret like doing sex chambers it's like of Scooby-Doo. the evil film producers you know and yeah. there is a really I think there is something very very on the nose about the first few haven't been produced by the Weinsteins and then this next one yeah. being directly pointed back at them even, I think that's not a coincidence even and I, I, I'm low to go too into because it it's very heavy but Rose McGowan is in the first yeah, film yeah. and Rose McGowan has like since come out about her experiences with the wine scenes and she was you know it was another film she did for them and then it was like I think at a film festival Cannes or something where like you know Harvey Weinstein assaulted her so like we're I think it was post screen but it was that time where she was working with that studio a lot mm-hmm. so like there's just all these weird connections to like which I just shows you like no everything is kind of interconnected even when we're kind of brain off and watching a horror film it's it is weird mm-hmm. how this franchise is stuck to certain things so the, and, and it's also interesting in terms of what you're saying about like scary movie that like the story of scream becomes the story of scream becomes the story of scream like 
all the way down to the building of it and to the industry that it's made within. Like yeah. it's actually, mm. and that kind of, for me, makes me respect it even more rather than be, it being this simple parable about horror movies going to fuck you up, going to mm. turn your friend into a stabber. Yeah. It, it actually is, I think it's trying to have a bit of a trickier conversation in a silly costume, in a funny voice. Yeah, yeah. But it is saying something that's actually... Um, kind of a bit i i actually do, i'm hesitating to say powerful but i was again shocked by the surrealism and the camp of the running around the the red draped room you yeah, know like yeah. it's very scooby-doo you said very scooby-doo but i think it's i think it's doing something genuinely doing something because the other thing the screen films are about is like how different people deal with their childhood trauma mm. like you yeah. have sydney and you have billy and it and it's very clever that with having the two villains each time one of them is like described by horror films. The other one is reacting to trauma based on the overarching story of Scream. So you have Billy in the first film, mm-hmm. Billy's mother in the second film. Can't remember what happens in the third one, but definitely third one splitting is out the two Roman teens into two killers. Who's yeah. her half Huge brother? spoiler with Scream 3. Half yeah. brother. Her ha- it turns out to be her half brother. Yeah. And he's his, he was like, he felt like his mother abandoned him and, there's, I mean, he like calls her every name or something like that. She was a slut and whore and all these horrible oh, it's, things. It gets pretty intense, like mm. you know. It's, and yeah, it's, the funny thing the third film when you watch it is like it is very hokey. But God bless Nev Campbell because you know, even and I kind of felt she was underutilized in the more recent one, which I think was an attempt to really give the new characters like their time to shine. But like <laughs> Nev Campbell will come into any scream situation and just act the living shit out of it. God bless her. She's 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 playing Shakespeare, man. She's yeah. doing that Michael Caine in Christmas is, Carol yeah, yeah. yeah. She just <laughs> says, you know what, I will commit to whatever you fucking throw at me. She's Sydney is having a fucking terrible time. And that she is her remit. And she gives it such a welly and it's actually why I think she's endured as a character mm. in that realm is she's just she finds a brilliant tone of like She's really sincere, but also like she hams it up just enough. But you're actually watching out. No, you can really. She knows how to live in that world. And I think Mm -hmm. equally like David Arquette. Is that her name? Yes. Yeah. She did it. Remember yeah. the name? Um, uh, he uh, is playing a cartoon character. Oh, As totally. is Courtney Cox. She's playing this sort of like run April O'Neil through a wicked stepmother. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. both playing archetypes in some ways, like a dumb cop and wicked truth teller, you know? Yeah. Wicked reporter or like corrupt, corrupted truth teller. And um, like Nev Campbell is the most human of all of them. Do mm. you know? And then in the yeah. new one, she's basically like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. Like she, she's so seen shit and she's back <laughs> yeah. and she knows exactly what's going on and is ready to deal with it on behalf of everybody yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. in the trailer, so everyone has seen it, but that great bit where like Ghostface rings her quite late in the film and says something, says something, and she goes, I've seen this movie before. She, or she's like, I'm bored. She's like, I'm bored. <laughs> I've, I've really been around the block. I mean, I, it's, it's still a lot clearer if she'll be back for the six film I know Courtney Cox effectively leaked the news that she will be in the six film so like I'm curious to see how they it's funny like this new film made really good money and it kind of reinvigorated interest in this franchise and this story so I'm curious like I think more people are going to go back to the original now again and Mm. it's like will there be a whole new generation that kind of I mean horror films are just a different beast now because they can go on streaming and they can be TV shows and they can be big screen events but I'm curious if there'll be a wave of like more self-referential films because the original Scream totally kicked off uh, an era of the Mm self-referential slasher film and these a wave of just kind of uh, teen slashers that became very excuse me very successful well I think in terms of the reboots and the bringing things back that like I don't know did you see the new Candyman actually haven't though it is I I noticed it's on on Prime so I'm like now I can actually finally sit down and give this a go I can honestly say that Candyman having seen it again for this podcast 
the, the original yeah fully changed my fucking life and mm-hmm. is one of the best pieces of cinema i've ever seen in my life like it completely like i have not had an experience like that watching a film in maybe a handful of times in my whole life but wow. not recently like it completely shook me to my core it's excellent and I was like, well, let's go. We're getting a, like a yeah, prequel. Yeah. And it was fine. Oh, just mm. just fine. Just fine. Um, just fine. And I still don't know how to unpack it and un- unpick it uh, and to how to talk about it correctly. But it was just fine. And mm. I was sort of heartbroken because I wanted it. I, I understand what it's about and I understand that it's a very clever film having very big chats. Yeah. But... It didn't work for me personally mm. in the same way that the first one completely was like, I kind of, I don't even have the language for it. I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. It made its way past so many films that I've seen and thought I cared about way up to like potentially the best film I've ever seen in my life. When was the first time you said you saw that one? Last year, year before last. Oh, it was your first time watching it. Wow. Yeah. Because I watched it the first time in some point in lockdown because I knew there was another one. And at that point, you knew there was a new one coming, but like you were right. like, they could push this out another two years because everything that's going on. And my takeaway was it was just so violent, which I knew. The first one. Yeah, yeah, it's really gruesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, and I didn't realize it was so, I mean, we're obviously not talking about Candyman, but like just how it's like almost surrealist and it's about what goes on in her head. Like I was like, oh, I thought this was more of a hack and slash. Like this is really uh-uh. ghoulish. It's yeah. super ahead of its time as well, like in terms of what it's chatting about and the way that it's doing it. But, oh, of course, yeah. Like the, but the reboot was smart. It was whip smart, but it was... I think when you're retelling, like so much of the way we tell horror stories and stories that are designed to frighten people, and Scream is about this as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, Scream's series is directly about the legacy of yeah, like mm. why are what why are scary movies scary? Is basically what they're asking us. And yeah. also, in some ways, if you hear about uh, Ghostface enough times, you potentially could become him. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. You, know, you could be you could be so affected by this power that you could find yourself also in pursuit of sydney yeah you yeah, know like yeah. there's a real there's a, so there is an interest in pursuit of sydney that's tmt copyright 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 in pursuit of sydney yeah yeah but um i think that uh so there is when we're kind of talking about telling these stories to stories told so often they become true mm-hmm. like Candyman is a is a story about urban legends yeah and this retelling of it was like I, 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 I wanted to be frightened to my bones. Yeah. And I was mostly just grumpy. And I think with Scream, I don't go to Scream to be frightened. You mm-hmm. know? Well, I was really fucking surprisingly shook by the first one. Yeah. But I'm... The first, first two, I would say, are actually scary. Pretty scary. But the third is too broad, really. And they're th- they're, they feel more thrilling than frightening. Yeah. You know? And if we're going to go back and dredge up all those, like various young fellas with chainsaws and hockey masks and what have you i think <laughs> fitting them into because again they're all about societal fears like hellraiser is about people being afraid of sex and mm-hmm. being afraid of sexual deviancy you know like that's what hellraiser is about and um, that's very reductive that's not just what it's about but well, that's about. part like, of you know, what you, the appeal is yeah, yeah, you, yeah you conjure all your all your monsters out and you know um, they're all t- speaking back to something in society. But now in the year of our Lord 2022, late stage COVID in a world where America will provide us with real life horror so consistent and unflinching that it's it's hard to, 
I don't know if a serial killer or a if you could just stick a hockey mask on a on a a, a young man and put him in a movie and anyone would would want that or if anyone would need that because it's just it's just happening now mm. do you know and it's weird because again when the new film came out like it, it talks about fan culture and the problems yeah. of it and the toxicity of it and almost actually felt obvious for screams to go there so i'm like well actually we've been we've been having this conversation but i guess it was kind of always going to be in the picture so there's something yeah it's i mean i liked the 2022 film a lot and mm. it generally got high praise i know people who didn't love it that much and the one thing is even though i did like it a lot and i'm excited for the next i'm sure they'll probably do another two or three films with this milieu of it or whatever if that's how you use that word i don't know if it is <laughs> um like there is still sort of the sharp shock the jolt of that first film and actually i, I truly think the way you watched it is probably as close to an original mm-hmm. experience yeah, yeah that people yeah, would yeah. have with it now it's not unlike what you're saying about Candyman. like even a truly great sequel is it's derivative like yeah. and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that there have been i mean people always go oh aliens t2 like there are these sequels that transcend the original but like there is a certain kind of freshness to the first time you see an idea, particularly now in an era of everything is reboot, rehash, requel, whatever. Like, <laughs> they'll never quite get where they have with Scream again because how could you? You don't have Wes Craven, like, you know, shooting yeah. a shot maybe in his head one last time. You don't have the plucky young screenwriter who's like, this is my fucking 15, 20 year passion project of what I grew up watching. And you don't have two years for or, or a year and a half or six months for it to marinate in the public mm. space and for people to come to it organically because yeah. it will just get swallowed up by the maw of the internet. Or even if you think of how it came out here, like it would have come out maybe March, April of 97. And by that point had made a shit ton of money. I mean, I find it hilarious. The first two screen films came out six months after the US when they are hinged on whodunits. I, I remember famously, slight aside, I used to listen to Atlantic 252 all the time. It's an English radio station you could pick up here as well on Longwave. And Scream 2 was months away from like a release in the UK and Ireland, but someone had come on and just spoiled the whole oh ending because they'd seen it on their holiday oh in the US. God, and they're like, I can't believe you just spoiled Scream for everyone, oh, bro. Wow. It was like literally like this whole thing. But Did like, you see it in the cinema? When I, it no, I didn't. I just remember the conversation around it because I was yeah. old enough to be aware of them in the cinema. I have a visual of this poster of the first film mm. on like a a thing in the middle of the shop that was beside the cinema we would have gone to. So oh, I, remember, wow. I can remember when it came out, but like, I kind of lost the train of thought there. What was it? Oh, like the like by the time we get to it, say even we've know the word of mouth. Whereas even like say everything everywhere all at once has just come out here. Have you seen it? I well weirdly when I was in the new when I was in New York it happened to just have been released widely. Oh, so I ended up great. seeing it kind of early, and I people been like, oh you're I'm so jealous you saw it early. It's taking forever to come out. I'm like no, it's coming out within six weeks of the US. We used to have to wait eight to nine months for <laughs> yeah. anything that wasn't a huge blockbuster yeah. and actually even so like the idea that you know the buzz about a film that's out maybe two months ahead of us is on people Unbearable. can't even wait like where a scream would have come to us with six seven maybe eight months of hype and then never mind us youngins who wait, wait another six months mm. for the video so like yeah. there is just something about i really like that the streaming era has made it easier for us in this country to watch stuff quite close to the US because I just think making us wait when we could technically pirate it is stupid but there is something to be said for like anticipation and buzz like even with everything everywhere I'm like actually this is not that big a gap where you're not getting it spoiled but like you're building a bit of tension I have somehow managed to not be spoiled for it I'm dying to see it so like but you know you can sense on Twitter when there's like you're at 
the they're, they're cresting crossover. The, the spoilers are cresting. You're, Marvel you have movies to see the takes. The takes. Yeah. The, the takes are rolling on the horizon. Yeah. People this are week, to... I was like, I do want to see Doctor Strange. I'll probably wait a few weeks. Like, I like to see those movies, and there's a little less people in the room, so I just feel like I can kind of chill out more. Not mm. a COVID thing. Just like I like to watch movies with less people because it's more relaxing. But like, I'm like hitting that point now where they're just casually doing memes of Doctor Strange that really are giving away oh. probably a lot of what happens. So it's to, weird. When you went to the theater in New York, did you notice how much noise America makes? Americans make in the cinema. No. Did you, oh, so if you went well, to something I, like Everything Everywhere, it was probably yeah, a bit more Yeah, it was an AMC in the middle of Times Square at like three o'clock on a Thursday. Oh, so okay. it wasn't even that busy, thank God. They are very, no- I, I love it. They but just the talk lobby, the I was screen. like, oh wow, this is very different. <laughs> oh, yeah. they will just talk at the screen. They I've heard that, yeah. Straight up talk at the screen. The, the, I, I've only seen one of the um, superhero hero films. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is, but I'm kind of like, I just feel like at this point, I saw the Avengers. Dance. I saw the Avengers and I, I got so mad at it that I didn't go to the cinema again for two years. But I... Um, <laughs> thank you, Joss. Uh, thank you, Joss. <laughs> nice one. Uh, so, but like it genuinely left such a, like... I just don't, I don't know who any of these people are and I don't know what yeah. I'm, ex- I, I'm good, I'm good, I don't know. But what were the audience doing? Yelling, screaming, standing oh, up, amazing. roaring with joy. It was kind of incredible to see in its own right, the the room. And I, you see this in the beginning of Scream too, right? You know, that oh, the, yeah. that yes. the, they're so, so hyped. There's a very different ambience in American cinemas in terms of how they respond and articulate how they feel towards the screen. It's like there's this dialogue going nearly hmm. with the room and the screen. It's a bit like a panto. That's you know? so true. Yeah. And actually all those videos that go viral of people react to the twist in Spider-Man No Way Home. People react to yeah. the bit where Captain they all America come back in Avengers, Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Infinity War. Yeah. Like, and I used to think that would never happen. And I'm like, probably wouldn't an American cinema. Oh, yeah. Mm. Particularly for opening weekend, those hugely anticipated kind of, mm. I mean, I say this with love, like kind of nerd-centric films. Although, really, are they nerd-centric when they make hundreds of millions in three days? No, they're deeply no, mainstream. No. They're just, <laughs> but like that normie. sort of... They're normie shifts. Of course, but the kind of the people who get excited about them have a nerdiness about it I guess mm, mm. so yeah it's that's really funny you've made me realise actually that is just kind of a well I'm also thinking what are the films that I would like punch the what I would like get up I think maybe like J-Lo's Dance and Hustlers I'd be like yes <laughs> do it 50 on the pole I love it <laughs> I I very nearly whooped when the camera pulls back and back and back and back to start a Scott Pilgrim during the first song oh credits. yeah that is See, very yeah, into could. the guitar yeah. hero let's, thing yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. get green card so we can really shed it I saw <laughs> one of the last city. films I saw in the cinema I haven't been the last two films I saw in the cinema before the pandemic I haven't been back we're fucking Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> And cats. Oh wow! <laughs> so talk about going out in a high, and I will say that we did give an enormous roar. Myself and my pals who went to see, we weren't even kind of drinking through it. We threatened to drink through it, but we were like, "No, we'll go." Sonic or cats? Uh, cats. Oh, my tails arrived. Both require a beverage. No, at the end of or about two thirds of the way through, cats during Skimble Shanks the Railway Cat, where he rises into the air and explodes and turns into a train out of our seats. Like it is so. It was so. We was also we were also the only people in the room, which was fine. Okay, you know? yeah. But um, which allows you a kind of a permission to not act as though you're in the cinema if it's really just you and four other people are the only ghosts in this room. And again, it was like an afternoon. Nobody was going to fucking see Cats, which is, if you haven't seen Cats, please see Cats. It's fucking bizarre. It's brilliant. Um, but being able to react in that way is, I don't know, rare, uncommon. 
you know. Yeah, I think that's why, like, yeah, it's that's funny. It's funny to think of like Scream 2's opening sequence, which yeah, for those which who haven't is, seen it is set in a similar. They're going to see a film about the costumes, events of the first film. Yeah, yeah. The audience is pumped up, and then something terrible happens, and because they're so pumped up, they don't even notice. And actually, you saying that has actually made me think of that in a new light, weirdly, yeah. which is a film I've seen dozens of times. So there you go. You learn that something. Crowd hysteria. I'm telling yeah. you, you got to get lost in it. You know, but yeah, it's a. Um, I don't know. I think if anybody ha- who's listening hasn't seen Scream, it's worth seeing for the sorry first time. Sorry for the spoilers. Yeah, so sorry. Uh, so well, sorry. You know, actually, you kind of know what happens. We did, well, we didn't name anybody. Kind of not. No. You know? you, you, I mean, I definitely did name one of the killers at one point, but that's <laughs> Multiple, yeah. multiple And you know what? I think it's, it's not fair to have a Scream episode without mentioning Matthew Lillard's performance in the final act of Scream. Oh, yeah, it's wild. It's, he's brilliant. I think Drew Barrymore and Matthew Lillard's final scenes are why it's probably remembered as well as it is because that was burned into my mind how insane he is he's so broad and over the top and even there's all these little moments where the he's handed the phone receiver when he's been injured and he (laughs) says i'm like i just want my mommy or something and apparently he ad-libbed those there's these little funny things he Mm -hmm. did that were like they just they left the camera on him because they said that those final sequences took ages to film i i get the sense even watching it feels grueling i'm like could you imagine they were caked in that horrible syrupy fake blood oh, for days yeah. and days. So like, there's all these little things where they start to kind of ad lib in some bits and pieces. Because they're cracking up. Like I mean, <laughs> you could, I, you could kind of, even though the new screen film actually references the entire run, you could kind of do it. I mean, like even you can buy a, like a Blu-ray combo pack of the first one and the new ones. So I'm like, you could kind of do a double feature as well. I don't know. I think it works. You can rent them yeah. all on yeah, yeah. iTunes and stuff now. Yeah, there we watched iTunes? them three nights oh, in a row. I thought movies. God, I'm old. Okay, but like, rent them from Extravision. Yeah, <laughs> go to your local. Extravision. Go up to the go up to the the stoner behind the counter. (laughs) (laughs) Buy a big packet of M and M's, you know. Yes. But you know, we watched them one night after the other, and it was really lovely immersing ourselves in them. Like they are, the closer that you watch them all in sequence, the closer you get to understanding the sort of beaded thread of it. You know. Also, before we go, can I ask? Are Courtney Cox and David Arquette still married? No. no. So they met on the first Scream film. Mm-hmm. By the second one, they were together. I believe they were married by the third one. And then they had like, they had a child together. I want to say not around the time of three or maybe not long after three. And then by the time the fourth one came out, it was about 10 years. They had divorced, but they were still in each other's lives because they had a kid. And then in this one, they really pay off. In this new film, this isn't too much of a spoiler. Dewey and Gail are not together and so there is one particular scene where they sort of hash out their differences that does feel like a little loaded a re- well like but in a in a nice way where they are apparently on good terms mm. but you, it just felt like their their history as a couple is tied to these films forever and mm-hmm. in fact they were quite close at Wes Craven. I think he went to their wedding and stuff. So like, oh God, yeah. And I think they have all these anecdotes where apparently Wes Craven had said to David Arquette, like, you know, you, you and Courtney, you need to see that works. You know, I can see there's something here, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. So like, because you can, he fucking adores yeah, her. Yeah, like, it's so well played. It's so, really like, gorgeous. The new yeah. film has it. There's a, a beat where they kind of lay into that, and everything. God, this is this is the side of doing these sequels that does work. You get these really mm. rich moments where like two actors who are in each other's lives anyway play this really lovely scene. So like. They aren't, but they seem to be on good terms. Yeah. She's now going out with one of the guys from Snow Patrol. Snow Patrol. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, knows Ed Sheeran and has visited Ireland a bunch of times. Okay, Courtney Cox. Cox could walk in here with, and <laughs> she's here Cox. tonight. Hey, <laughs> Courtney your fringe, Cox, everybody. Your is gorgeous, Courtney. Gorgeous. She's like, I'll just, I'll just sit here. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, because I, I don't know. I found that really... Uh, I have celebrity face blindness. I have no idea who anyone is, but I do remember realizing quickly that because there's a bunch of Arquettes, right? Yeah, there's Patricia Arquette, there's 
Alexis Arquette, who I think may have died because she was like, I don't want to get. I don't want to get. But there's a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of Arquettes and a couple of Sedarises, right? So there's a whole bunch yeah. of like families. And there's Fondas. There's mm-hmm. all yeah. small dynasties. But yeah. I did know that they were. Well, I thought at the time I was like, oh, they got married. Let's have ever after because I've got no cop on. Yeah. But there's a really palpable romance to the way David Arquette looks at her. Particularly in the first film. In the first mm-hmm. one. That bit where he goes, where she says something, he says he's 25, she goes, oh, I test best with like 18, 24. And then as they're leaving, she goes, oh, I thought you weren't into me. He goes, I was 24 for a whole year. And she's just like, oh. What a line. <laughs> what a line. That was it. Oh. That was really cute. Like, yeah. that's really good. It's got a good, got a good old heart. Got a good old heart. All right. On that, Connor, <laughs> please plug yourself. Yes, if you want to follow me on social media, do it's Connor Bean. I have a podcast called Housewives and Me. It is a podcast about why we love the Real Housewives. We've had Elizabeth Day, Evan Ross Katz, Georgie Crawford, lots of people you'd know, and lots of people you may not know, but who are really into the shows and have lots to say. So it's a fun mix of people. The conversations are actually not unlike the tone of ones you guys have here. So mm. if you're at all into reality TV in the Housewives world and you feel like that's up your street, you can get Housewives and Me wherever you get your podcasts. Great. Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you for having me. It was a scream, baby. (laughs) It was a scream, baby. Uh, Sarah, where can find you? At Twitter, at Griffsky, on Instagram, at Sarah Griffsky, on TikTok, at Oh Griffsky. But I don't talk to the camera (laughs) or dance. Don't tell anybody. I just post text posts. I don't. don't, Uh, My books are available in all good bookstores. Spare and Pen Parts is my first one, and Other Words for Smoke is my second. Alan, what about you? Uh, I'm Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Juvenilia is Juvenilia underscore pod on Twitter, Juvenilia pod on Instagram. Thank you to Dean McDonald for our artwork. Thank you, Dean. Go check out our Patreon if you are in any way interested in that. We have bonus episodes. They're mostly about video games and what yeah. we've been starting and finishing lately. Uh, thank you to Cassie. Hi, thank you, Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. Hey, and thank you to Tall Tales. <laughs> and thank you again, Connor Bean. Thank, thank you. you Bye, everybody. Bye.